Good morning. I'm Donna Quinn. And for the next half hour, you'll be listening to Talk of Our Towns. Are you there, Dave? Yes, I am. Good morning, Donna. Excellent. Good, good. All right. So my guest this week is fisherman and poet Dave Densmore. He's also known as Dangerous Dave Densmore. Um, he has been a commercial fisherman for over 61 years in the Pacific Northwest and in Alaska. He's the author of four books and one CD, and there might be another one on the way. Um, he has performed at festivals in schools throughout the country. He's been in numerous films on NBC's The Today Show, featured on OPB, PBS, and in the New York Times. He is living on his sailboat in the East Mooring Basin here in Astoria, Oregon, where he's also working on two other boats he owns as well. Good morning, Dave Densmore. Good morning. <laughs> What's it like where you are? You are living on the Aquarian. Yeah, well, it's it's very peaceful because the uh, uh, causeway out here is condemned, so and then they're going to they plan on working on. They've got the permits to start in September, so right now I go back and forth to the beach by skiff. So this uh, uh, quarantine and, and isolation, self-isolation is pretty easy for me because I'm just here in my normal habitat, <laughs> working on my boats as normal. So, uh, And I've got three or 400 sea lions for company. So, How do you sleep with the sea lions barking all night? You know, after a while, they become uh, kind of like white noise. I, I don't even hear them. In fact, the only thing I really notice is if they all go quiet for a minute, then I look up and see what's going on with them. But uh, aside from that, uh, it's just kind of a just like in the city traffic or whatever. I believe it's just after a while, I don't even hear it. Mm-hmm. So, Dave, um, I would love to talk about the boats, but you fell in boat fell in love with boats a very long time ago. So for those listeners who are not familiar with your story, with your background, please tell us about your your childhood, your growing up, and how you became uh, the fisherman and poet you are today. Well, I, I was, I believe I was always a fisherman. I uh, actually I was born here in Oregon. I was born down in Medford. My dad mustered out of the military. Uh, after World War II there, and my folks bought property and so on. But you know, we went to Alaska when I was really young. My folks were, went up as missionaries, actually, and, and uh, Dad fished, and I, I is first time. I, I think I was six when I first time I saw the waters in Puget Sound. I'd go into grade school in Port Angeles, and there was in the in the schoolyard, there was swings and all the normal stuff, but there was an old power skiff sitting there. That's where I spent all my time. It just, I don't know, it just called me. And, and I, I could see a huge sound from the, from the skiff, and I sat in that power skiff, and I dreamed unformed dreams because I didn't know anything about, but I just knew that that's where I had to be. I just knew I, that's where I had to be. And I, uh, when we went to Alaska, it was, I felt like, Felt like I'd come home. Uh, I remember when I was about ten, I believe, I we moved from the Aleutian Islands, from small village we'd been living in, the Kodiak. And one day, the teacher uh, said, "Had everybody stand up one at a time and say what they wanted to be when they grew up." <laughs> there wasn't any doubt in my mind. I had my hip boots on, my belt knife on, and it was my turn. I stood up and said, "I am a fisherman," and uh, that was that. <laughs> 
And you didn't you buy your first boat when you were something like eleven or? I, I was thirteen. I was thirteen, 13? when I bought my first mm-hmm. boat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I and started running power skip on the same boat. Uh, I fished. Uh, you know, uh, I ran my dad's set net when I was seven. And uh, out in the Lucians, you the kids were relied on real heavy. It's kind of like probably the old time farmers that had big families and the kids worked the farm with them. We were relied on heavily. And um, when, like, for instance, when my, I was nine, my dad got sick. We were out in the Lucians, and and uh, whatever we we ate, pretty much as far as meat and so on, I, we either dug off the beach or hunted and. I spent most of that winter hunting for the forest. I was nine. After school nights, I'd hit the beach and weekends so for ducks and geese and so on. But uh, when by the time I was 12, I was getting a full share on the same boat running power skiff. And uh, let's see, this following year, we were out in Fultz Pass. And, yeah, that's where I bought my first boat. I bought it on a handshake and, and uh, <laughs> actually... Uh, I wanted the boat right then and there, right in the middle of the season when I finally had the money made, and my dad pointed out that I was just a kid. I didn't need it yet, and uh, Skipper, the guy I was buying it from, was had a big family, and there wasn't another boat to be had, so I just had to be patient. Well, right at the end of the season, he hit a rock and sunk the boat, so <laughs> that was the end of that story, and I had to move on to something else. You lived kind of a sustenance lifestyle in 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 Alaska, I think, for a period of time, didn't you? Then, oh, definitely. That's definitely where I grew up. Yes, uh, low tide, we were hunting octopus and digging clams and and getting bedarkies, chitons off the uh, and so on, and Chinaman hats. And at times, so I, the soup was pretty thin, but it was always a good life. I I was right in my glory, and I think all of us kids and all of us that grew up out there learned so many life lessons about coping and so on that uh, have stood us in good stead. Yes. Uh, and, Dave, you mostly fished for salmon, and I and then, uh, I mean, in Alaska, that was primarily you were fishing for salmon, correct? Well, no, but I, no, I, I for, for years, I fished crab. At one time, when I was, one time I was running, I was king crabbing in the Bering Sea way, way, way before Deadliest Catch. In fact, I was told at one time I had my first king crab boat when I was 23. At that time, I was the youngest king crab skipper in the Bering Sea. And I uh, uh, fished halibut and long-lined halibut. I've, I've pretty much done it all. For a while, I had a little dragger down here off the coast, and I fished here in Puget Sound with it. Summer, summers, I fished off the coast here, and winters, I fished in Puget Sound for bottom fish, codfish, mm. and so on. So it's a I've pretty much fished it all. You have had some really um, very challenging situations happen in your life, and um, and we want to talk about some of those. I, I wonder if perhaps we could hear a poem. I think that you have a poem, uh, Circle of Life, I believe, right now would be a great time to hear that poem. Sure, okay. Yeah, I, I love salmon, and, and but I, this, I think, applies to all of us, to humans as well as just fish, so Circle of Life. The circle life goes around as she fights her way upstream, giving her life to give life, her one sustaining dream. The eggs drop, the sperm comes to bring the magic of life. Snow flies, winter passes, and spring, life renewal running rife. The fingling starts 
downstream destination unknown but sure. Birds of prey, rocks and turbulence, dangers ahead, so much more. Finally, all the while gaining morphine, she reaches a deep and nurturing sea, and the arc of the circle continues as it was always meant to be. Far offshore she runs, feeding, growing, gaining strength, until her biological clock tells her to turn around at length. So homeward calls and she starts, long trek back home, the circle of life to complete, as in a living poem. Through the ocean she runs, dodging predators, hook and net, the urge to return home as strong as it can get. Oh, she leaps for sheer joy, flashing silver in the sun. Somehow she just knows the closing of the circle has begun. The home stretch unerringly found after so many long and arduous miles, and upstream she struggles against currents swift and wild. The circle of life closes. Again, the cycle goes around. Nest built, sperm flows as her eggs rain softly down. Yes, beautiful. And let's talk a little bit about your writing and when you started writing poetry and prose. I started writing in the, on in the mid seventies. I was fishing, and something funny had happened on the boat, and I'd write a little four line, just rhymer about it, read it to my crew, kind of teasing them with it. And then something happened to one of the other guys, and a little longer poem came, and I so I read it to him on the radio, and uh, pretty soon, why people were saying, "Hey, you got another poem?" <laughs> And so I'd read something on the radio in the evenings at night when we were traveling and so on. And uh, But I didn't really, I just kind of played with it until after my dad and son drowned. And for several years, it was pretty dark out. I didn't uh, uh, write anything. Nothing much came. And one day, three poems came all at once. And I started writing more. And, and, and I'd been kind of listening and watching that uh, a lot of the bad press that commercial fishing was getting and commercial fishermen and I kept thinking somebody needs to speak up for us and tell our story and finally one day the guy in the mirror said well go to her so <laughs> I started writing and it was kind of in more serious vein and that was quite a bit of it was uh, protest just protesting the way we were being treated and the way we were seen and so on but it started sounding pretty shrill to me too soon, so I I just kind of decided what I need to do is just tell our story and tell our viewpoint. And basically, we're just people just trying to make a living on the ocean and harvesting food for that we get to share with the the world. So, and so and that over, now over I kind of mix, days, might say you, mix some sugar you with become, medicine. Um, a conservationist. I mean, well, you always were, I think, and and but you have. For uh, uh, you worked with Columbia Riverkeeper on protecting the Columbia River estuary, and you have really been called upon to become a, an environmentalist in a way. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I don't consider myself so much an environmentalist as a conservationist. I believe in using everything, but use it conservatively. Manage it, manage it for five or six or seven or eight generations out. This little planet is not. Uh, uh, it, it needs our help to, to stay healthy, and it, it, so yeah, I've done a lot of benefits and and so on. Been down to Salem and testified a couple of times, and and uh, I do what I can to 
yeah, to advance our cause, and from from my viewpoint of as as a commercial fisherman and a consumer. So, mm-hmm. and you got involved with the very with Fisher Poets, um, and you've been. I know you are one of the most popular um, poets who reads at Fisher Poets. A lot of people follow you, and you have you know books and and the CD. And how did uh, you how did, how was it being involved with Fisher Poets at the very beginning? Well, I really enjoyed it. it well, it, the first time on on stage there, I got to admit, it took a couple of rum and cokes to get 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 me to relax a little bit. But as soon as I got on stage and started, and I realized that, you know, there's nobody here judging. There, people are here to just be entertained and to listen. And so, and, and I I had a, I found it just dawned on me suddenly that I have a mission, and this is a way. This is a way to to uh, educate people to who commercial fishing fishermen are and what commercial fishing really is. I mean, there's big factory boats that I, I don't like, but for the most part, it's a small boat fishery in families and communities along the coasts and in the rivers and so on, trying to survive. And 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 just a way of a light, way of life that is actually kind of disappearing, and it's sad. So it was a way for me to basically tell our story uh, and get it out to the public instead of just reading it to one or two people. And one of the things I was most impressed with when I attended Fisher Poets for the first time uh, 17 years ago was the the poignancy, the, the, the tenderness with which a lot of the poets were talking about um, their love of home, their love of their their the wife and the geranium pots on the windowsill, and how they miss that, and yet the the call of the the sea, the, the fishing, the ocean. I mean, there was a there was a lot of emotion and feeling and kindness toward and love and passion for the ocean and for that way of life, which was really expressed. Yeah, it it. There's, it is. Uh, it, it's not something that you do casually. It's. It takes. For one thing, uh, a friend of mine that's a, a, a lyricist back east has a line in one of the songs, "The friendly stranger that's out to kill you." And so it takes a total commitment. It takes. You have to be totally committed to your life on the ocean, but at the same time, you under, we understand what we're leaving behind and what we're missing out on, and we miss out on a lot. But it's also a very fulfilling life because it there is a peace that I find, anyway, offshore that I just don't, and I think I see it in a lot of fishermen, they just don't find on the beach. They get offshore and everything. It takes so much concentration and so much effort to keep, yourself and your crew safe, find a fish, deliver a, a decent product and so on. It it is it's not it's almost all consuming, but then when you come home why well, you have to make that transition back, <laughs> pull in your horns and, and be uh and just be just, just another guy. And but the more when you are home and you you see what, what's there and you enjoy enjoy the fruits, basically enjoy the fruits of your labor. I have such a great appreciation now of how there is that freedom on the water. I mean, the planet is is mostly water. And now during, of course, this pandemic time, when people's movements on land are restricted, certainly the allure of being in a boat uh, is, I think, very powerful. And, and I can see why people speak of 
the great freedom that they experience when they're um, on the ocean. Um, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Talk of Our Towns. Today, I'm talking with fisherman and poet Dave Densmore. He's been a commercial fisherman for over 61 years in the Pacific Northwest and in Alaska. He's the author of four books. He has a CD out. There's another one possibly in the works. He's performed at festivals and in schools throughout the country. He's been in numerous films on NBC's The Today Show, featured on OPB, PBS, and in the New York Times. He's living on his sailboat in the East Mooring Basin. That's where he is right now, talking to us from the Aquarian. And you also have the Coldstream, Thunder, and the Dreamer is in Alaska. So four boats. <laughs> well, that why, was kind why of are those named after women? I, uh... You told me this. Why do boats have female names? Well, boats are very feminine. They uh, we we fall in love with their beautiful lines, and then they mess with our heads from then on, just like women. So <laughs> they take a lot of they take a lot of maintenance. They take a lot of attention, and they give back so much. So it just it's it is a love affair, just just like a human love affair, almost. Uh, that most of us have with our boats. You see, you see a lot of pride. Guys uh, will shortchange themselves. You see them and guy uptown maybe wearing ragged Levi's and a tore-out coat, but his boat's painted up nice. Dave, do you have another poem you might want to share with us? I know I would like for us to talk a little bit about um, grief and love, and because you suffered something that you know most people in their lifetimes would never experience a tragedy like the one that you experienced and and it would have um would have uh taken a lot of other people on a path that could have been extremely destructive or or just wanting not to even continue on and i think a lot of people right now are frustrated uh, by the uh coronavirus and the the pandemic is people are afraid people are depressed and how did you overcome adversity? And do you want to read a poem, or do you want to talk a little bit about the the, the tragedy that shaped how you live the rest of your life? Either way, uh, my uh, yeah, my dad and my son uh, drowned. They they got thrown out of a skiff. A big it was a big, strong, say should have been safe skiff, but it had a design flaw that we didn't realize. And we launched it that morning. It was my son's 14th birthday, and he'd worked all winter on. Somebody had given it to him, and he worked all winter and rebuilding it and, and so on. And, and uh, he played in it all day. And then that evening, my just before dinner, he took my dad for a ride, and they never came back. And I used the skiff for about a week, until, and I was trying to figure out what had happened. As I, searched, I found my dad's body the next day. I never did find my son, but as I searched for it, I was used, trying to figure out what had happened. And finally one evening that was exactly the same weather conditions. It was a nice, beautiful day, uh, but there was just a little bit of wind chop. And the skiff did the same thing to me, but I was braced. I was ready. I was starting to suspect what had happened, and I was braced. And it, the skiff sheared hard, turned real hard, caught a wave wrong, a little wind chop wrong, and it just turned so hard to the side that it threw me. And I had my legs crossed and, and feet braced under the seat. But it's still, my face is almost in the water, and I thought I broke a rib. I hit the side so hard, and I was sure that's what had happened. So once I knew for sure, I took the boat back to the beach and hauled it up on the beach and poured gas on it and burned it so it would never happen to anybody else. But, and, 
And first, I, I will admit, for several years it was pretty dark out, and, and that was a long time ago. That was, what, 30-some years ago, but still it, there's days when when the, the loss comes just as hard and fresh as, as ever. And uh, But I have learned to cope with it and, and deal with it, and, and um, it is almost, you might say, my uh, monument to my son, my grief. So, and my dad. So, therefore, it's it's something that I I'm, I'm, might not be the right word, but almost cherish. I, I or at least I hold close. It. And I moved on. I don't I don't look back. But at the same time, we we have the capacity to deal with huge tragedy if we just allow ourselves to. It's it's hard. It's some days it's harder than others, but. At the same time, we do have that capability. It's just we have to reach for it. And I have I've written uh, several poems about loss when I'm about about my son. And I find when I read them in public that somebody comes and tells me about their loss. And I by my sharing mine with them, hopefully I help them through theirs a little bit. And that is the silver lining in that cloud for me. That's the payback for my loss, being able to help somebody else with their grief. A lot of people feel like they can't continue on, and uh, you told me a story about being in a school and, uh, and, and sharing this story of the loss of your father, who was your hero, and your son. It was his 14th birthday, and, um, and you shared that story, and then do you want to just tell us what happened at the school? You know, after I left, they had a, a, a little assembly, and, and one of the counselors called me later and said they asked the kids, "Well, what did you get from that from that fisherman, that that poet that was here?" Uh, and I had shared my poem about Skeeter about my son. And this girl raised her hand, and he, she said, "He told me." She didn't say he told us. She said, "He told me." Just hang in there. That no matter what, things will get better, and I can, I can, I can deal with it as long as things will get better. And that, that was pretty gratifying. I, I, to me, uh, teenage, especially teenage suicide, but suicide when we give up and and just decide we can't go on, that that is a huge loss. And I, if I can stop that one time by sharing my grief and pointing out that we just. Hang on, things will get better if you let it. If you just keep looking, watching the sunrises and watching the sunsets and feeling the warm on your back and watching the flowers in spring, whatever you have to do, just look for the good in life because there is so much. We have so many gifts given to us. We just have to be astute enough to find them. Yes, and being grateful. Do you have another poem you'd like to share with us, Dave? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, maybe this might cover it a little bit. It's called coping. I've faced great storms out at sea, longing for a sea of glass, while consoling with just one thought, and this too shall pass. Life holds a helping of hardship, as I'm sure everyone is well aware. Life just can't be lived without one share of pain and care. Been knocked around and jerked around, thought I'd die of a broken heart. But I've come to see it's not just me. It's simply life. It's all a part. Though sometimes one struggles mightily, how we cope shows our true class. I try to take it all in stride, 
and this too shall pass. From Dennis visits to raging storms are matters of the heart and soul. Emotions and discomfort are not your master. You can be in control. Time actually is our friend, though he seems to stalk us all. In his hand lies the cure. We just need to recognize the call. Time moves on, and so do we, and at the risk of sounding crass. For good or bad, time cares not, and this, too, in the end, shall pass. And that uh, is for everybody fighting this epidemic right now. Yes, and Dave, you know, I, I we didn't talk about the fact that you have four books out and that I don't think you have an active website, but if someone wants to get in touch with you, they can reach you through your email if they want to get a book or a CD or just get in touch with you for any reason if they have a question. And uh, so do you want to give people your email address, please? Sure. My email is, is just D-H Densmore, D-H-D-E-N-S-M-O-R-E at yahoo.com. And I sell a lot of books through the mail. So people call up or send me an email, want one, two, three, whatever. The whole, you buy all four, I'll throw in a CD. <laughs> all right. And I just, right. I just put them good. in the mail to them, and they send me a check. So, Dave, we have a few minutes left. And um, are there some things we haven't talked about you'd like to tell the listening audience, or would you like to read another poem? Um, what feels right to you? Well, let's see. We've talked about me being a fisherman, and but you know, yeah, I do. I have one I'd like to read. Uh, um, <laughs> what I do right here is I want to read something for for the frontline people um, that have been fighting this pandemic. The doctors and the nurses. And the store, the people in the stores have been working to keep us going. So it's called on bravery. And although it it uh, is from a fisherman's viewpoint, it uh, it applies to everybody. And I'd like to dedicate this to the doctors and nurses and well, everybody just just kept on keeping on no matter what. It's called on bravery. If you should visit a coffee shop or bar when fishermen are about, you will hear some exceptional stories if you can draw them out. You hear stories of near disasters and close calls struggled off with a grin, but try to listen between the lines to what dire straits that man was in. We may seem nonchalant and pretty casual to you, but we know how close disaster lies far better than most landsmen do. Rigging and machinery break, bad can quickly turn to worse. In a wink of an eye, you're over the edge, from which there's no reverse. The list of possible disasters is a long one indeed, though you think yourself prepared to handle every need. We pit ourselves against nature's might to wrestle away our treasures. Sometimes we find ourselves in spots from which there's just no pleasure. Now, I enjoy a storm like anyone when everyone's stuck, everything's stuck safely away, but being caught out in a screamer sure doesn't make my day. Only a greenhorn wishes for rough. This is not a circus ride. We can never take it lightly. Too many friends have died. If someone says he's never been scared, I'd say he's a fool or he lied. But we choose the way we live, so we just take it all in stride. But the ones who've been out over the edge look down in their own grave, yet keep on doing what they must. These are the truly brave. So if someone spins you a tale about his life in pursuit of fish, listen close to what he's been through just to bring it. 
to your dish. And that's, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have been looking down in their own grave and kept right on going, and, and they they have been called heroes, and rightly so, rightly so. Yes, and Dave, you are not fishing in Alaska this year. You're going to be actually here in the uh, in this in the Pacific Northwest in the Columbia Pacific region. You're going to be fishing right here and and living on the aquarium. Is that correct? Yeah, well, probably once I get going, I'll pretty much be living on the thunder. But yes, I'm going to fish down here this year. It was just it was just too chaotic. It was too big of a risk flying a crew into Kodiak, which is. You know they have they have a good hospital and uh, good doctors, but it, uh, at the same time it's limited access to. Uh, uh, and so, I just didn't think it was. I should I should put everybody to that risk, put myself to that risk either. And and so I decided I called my crew and scratched this season, and we'll get them next season. And I'm going to fish the thunder down here. Dave, thank you so much for being with us today on this program and for bringing um, food to our re- to our plates, to our grocery stores. Without commercial fishermen, we wouldn't have the bounty of the sea that you all bring us, which is and it's a very dangerous profession. And we're so grateful for all that you're doing and look forward to having more uh, programs with you and more poetry. Um, and as I know, you are writing there on the boat. And uh, any last quick thoughts? <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me on, Donna. I uh, always appreciate it. I I love being able to tell our story and and to everybody that's struggling, just keep on keeping on because it will get better. Thank you so much, Dave Densmore. Um, really appreciate you being here. And again, you can reach Dave Densmore at dhdensmore at yahoo dot com. Thank you so much, Dylan Hausershock, for making this program possible through the wonders of technology at the station. And my gratitude to local talented banjo instructor Michael Bruin for his original theme music for this program. Until next week. Let's find a moment right now, and let's just take that deep, healing breath. If you extend the exhale, as Caitlin said, it's very good for your nervous system. So allow yourself to take a deep breath and then extend the exhale. And then with gratitude, focus on the things that are going well in your life. There always will be things that aren't, but focus on the things, as Dave says, the beauty that that is still here in our lives. And then with um, compassion, give yourself a loving hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you, for doing the best you can, for being here now in this moment, the only moment that exists, the now moment on the amazing planet we call Earth.